Many of our, our most popular stories have an element of prophecy to them. In 20 days, I will be there for opening night of Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. It's the final episode of the Star Wars saga, and the whole saga was actually premised on a prophecy. The prophecy of the Chosen One. A Chosen One shall come, born of no father, and through him will ultimate balance in the Force be restored. Similarly, in cinema, the Matrix movie trilogy follows the narrative arc about a prophecy caused by a prophecy about the One. The Oracle prophesied the return of the One, and that his coming would hail the destruction of the Matrix and the end of the war and bring freedom to our people. Or consider how prophecy drives our favorite epic literature. In the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there was a prophecy of a golden age of the land of Narnia. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets his death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. When Adam's flesh and Adam's bone sit and the throne, whoops, sit at Carparvel and throne, the evil time will be over and done. The whole story is driven by the hope that that prophecy is going to come to pass. And finally, a personal favorite, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, was the coming of a new king prophesied in the riddle, all that is gold does not glitter, and not all those who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither, and deep roots are not reached by the frost. From the ashes a fire shall be woken. A light from the shadows shall spring. Renewed shall be blade that was broken and crownless again. That the crownless again shall be king. You see, all of these prophecies propelled the stories forward because in the stories they gave the characters hope. Hope that it could be different. Hope that it could be better. Hope that tomorrow might be better than today. In fact, in Lord of the Rings, one of the many names given to the king that was going to come is Estelle, which is the Elvish word hope. They said, don't give up hope because a king will arise and his name is hope. And church, that is the same message of Christmas. A king will arise and his name is hope. Because just as prophecy drives so many of our favorite myths, Prophecy also drove the true story of Christmas. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, prophecies were spoken. They were words of hope that rose from the midst of dark times. And they were a promise. It will not always be this way. Something better will come. A deliverer will rise. A savior will appear. A king will come. And his name is hope. And hope was something that was desperately needed in the day of Jesus' birth. And hope is something that's desperately needed in our day today. And maybe, just maybe, some of you here on this first Sunday of Advent, you've come here searching for hope. And I have good news. The good news is that the prophecies are true. That God is faithful to his word. That a king is born and hope is rising. So what do these prophecies mean for us? And how do they give us hope today and forevermore? And asking that, let's pray together. Lord, as we open your word, we ask you to speak to us. We come here needing a word of hope. 
We need a word of hope. Hope in the darkness. Hope in our confusion. Hope in our fear. Hope in our uncertainty. Hope in our sin. We need a word of hope today. So speak to us as we open your word now in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I realized after the fact that I forgot to find the page numbers, but I trust you can find in your Bible, Matthew chapter 1. If you're using the Pew Bibles, you get to guess where it is. No, Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. So again, if you find the Old Testament, the New Testament, the first book is Matthew. And on the first page of that book should be Matthew chapter 1. And I'll remember to look up page numbers before I make my slides. Seven. 757. So again, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1 in your own Bible, in your Bible app, or in the Pew Bible, and join us. And as you turn there, we just want to remember that this is the first Sunday of Advent. We heard the kids read for us about hope. Hope. You see, Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming. And so this is a season where we anticipate the coming. The coming of Jesus Christ. Something is coming and we want to be ready for it. Something is coming because we don't want it to pass us by. Something is coming and so we want to receive its full promise so we prepare ourselves. We become more attentive. And the Advent season is a season of preparation. A season of preparing ourselves because, friends, something is coming. And we don't want to miss it. And this morning the children lit or tried to light the first candle which is the candle of hope. In some traditions, it's the candle of hope. In other traditions, it's the candle of prophecy. But either one is fine, because prophecy is what gives us hope. And today's passage highlights a prophecy of the coming Messiah, the Savior, the King that was going to be born. And that prophecy gives hope. So let's look at it. It's Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit shall bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The Gospel writer Matthew says here that Jesus' birth, it took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah. See, Jesus' birth is the fulfillment of a promise, the fulfillment of prophecy. It's hope realized. And Matthew in his Gospel makes a big deal about the fulfillment of prophecy. You see, in the first two chapters of Matthew alone, which contain the story of Jesus' birth, we find four times the phrase to fulfill what the Lord had said. Things happened to fulfill what the Lord had said. Prophecies were given. Promises were made. And then here's the realization of them. What God promised has come to pass. What was prophesied is happening. 
Hope is being realized. And in today's passage, Matthew is quoting from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 4, verse 17 of Isaiah's book. Now, the prophet Isaiah lived in Jerusalem in the 8th century B.C. And chapter 7 of Isaiah was written about 735 B.C. So that's almost 800 years before Jesus. Almost 800 years before Jesus is born, the prophet Isaiah spoke. And when he spoke, he was speaking into a time of crisis in the nation of Judah. The king was King Ahaz. He was on the throne. And all of the enemies around Judah were plotting and they were predicting the defeat of the kingdom of Judah. And so God sent Isaiah to King Ahaz to promise him a sign. It's not going to happen. You won't be defeated. You will not be taken. And the promise will be presented in a child, Emmanuel, God with us, a sign of hope, a sign that God is with you. And the original prophecy that Isaiah spoke was likely fulfilled by a virgin, maybe one from the royal palace or Isaiah's wife, a virgin who soon after the prophecy was married and then bore a son. And that child would have been a symbol, a sign of hope to King Ahaz and to the whole nation of Judah that God is going to fulfill his word. He's with us. We're not going to fall to all these nations that are threatening. But even as God spoke that prophecy to Ahaz, God intended a greater, more perfect fulfillment of the prophecy that was spoken, as we hear from Matthew. You see, yes, it was fulfilled partially in the time of Ahaz, but God said, no, 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 there's, there's a greater fulfillment that's coming. You see, there's, there's a child who's going to be born who's more than just a sign that I'm with you, who actually is God with you. It's more than a sign. It's going to be the reality. It's more than a promise of temporary salvation from the nations that surround you. This child will bring permanent, eternal salvation. This child will be the perfect Emmanuel, God with us. And you see, Isaiah goes on and through chapters 7 through 12, he prophesies more and more, building about this prophecy of Emmanuel, the child that's going to be born. And we come to Isaiah chapter 9 and we have the crescendo that Handel made famous in his musical Messiah. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called. Makes you want to sing, doesn't it? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end. And on the throne of David over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Well, you know what? There is no human child born in the time of King Ahaz. Or born at any other time that could perfectly fulfill this promise. There's no mere human child that ever sat on the throne of David that could fulfill this promise. Matthew writes here in the beginning of his gospel, you're right, but eventually a child was born that could fulfill this promise. The promise of the child, Emmanuel. The hope realized. The child of whom Matthew writes, perfectly proves God's promise that he's going to be with his people. This child proves God's promise that he will save his people. This child is hope realized. And friends, we, we have hope 
because Jesus fulfilled this and so many other prophecies about the Messiah perfectly and completely. And this gives us hope. It gives us hope that God is true to his word, that God fulfilled his intention, his desire, his his purpose in Jesus Christ. Because God's purposes from the very beginning have been that he might be amongst his people. Emmanuel, God with us. You see, God has always wanted to be with his people. If you remember back to the creation story, when God created all that was, it says that God wasn't far off. It says God created all that was, and then he walked in the garden with humanity. He walked face to face with humanity. That's always been his desire. That's always been his intention. That's always been what he wanted. But then we get to Genesis chapter 3. And sin, our rebellion against God, our refusal to trust him and to, let, and to submit to his rule over us alienates us from God. And God is no longer able to be with his people. No longer able to walk amongst them. And the whole story of Scripture is God making a way to be with his people. The whole narrative of Scripture is God making a way to walk again amongst his people. Emmanuel, God with us. For example, when God's people, Israel, are sold into slavery in Egypt... God sends the ten, he sends Moses, he sends the ten plagues, he parts the Red Sea, he brings them out, and why does he do it? He does it in Exodus 29, I will dwell among the people of Israel, and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt. Why? That I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Emmanuel. God with us. That's God's intention. He wants to be with his people. And bringing them out of Egypt, God brought his people to Mount Sinai, where he gave them the law and instructions for building the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, that God symbolically might dwell amongst his people. Leviticus 26 says, I will make my dwelling, my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you. I will walk among you. I'll be your God. You shall be my people. See that word tabernacle. It's the place where God symbolically dwelt amongst his people. And after being delivered from Egypt as Israel wandered in the wilderness, God's glory was present in a glowing cloud in the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, the symbolic place of God's dwelling amongst his people. Emmanuel, God with us. This has been God's intention from the beginning. Symbolically in the tabernacle and later in the temple, it was a sign of Emmanuel, God with us. And in a time of national crisis, God spoke to Ahaz, a child will be born who will be another symbol of Emmanuel, God with us. But now, now a time has come, says Matthew, with the birth of Jesus, where the symbol is becoming a reality where the hope is becoming tangible, where the prophecy is becoming certainty, where the word is becoming flesh, where Emmanuel, God, will actually be with us. You see, this is the language that is used by the disciple John in his version of the Christmas story. If you've ever noticed, there are four Gospels. (coughs) And the fourth Gospel, John, doesn't contain the usual narrative account of the Christmas story. Rather, he gets all theological on us. 
But if you flip a few pages ahead to John chapter 1, in your Bibles, John chapter 1, which again, I forgot to find the page number. John chapter 1, <laughs> we find how he describes the coming of Emmanuel, of God with us, and how this gives us hope. In John chapter 1, in verses 1 through 3, turn there with me, John chapter 1. Thank you. John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. The Greek word here, logos, is translated as the Word, and John writes, whatever this logos was, this Word was with God and was God. So what's John talking about here? Well, he says, whatever this logos is, this word, through the word, all things were made. It's the same language that later on the Apostle Paul used in, first, in, in Colossians 1.15. He said, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and is, is invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. See, Paul says Jesus is the image of the invisible God through whom and for whom all things were created. John says Jesus is the word, the word who was God and who was with God and through him all things were made. These two passages offer us an incredible affirmation, church. Jesus is God. He's the very God through whom and for whom all things were made. We find it repeatedly through the scripture. Don't miss this truth. Jesus is not just some great teacher. He's not just an exalted human. He's not just an example to us. These are insufficient understandings of who Jesus is. Jesus is God. The word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is God. And to say anything less is to misunderstand him. And to believe anything less, church, is to miss the true hope that Jesus offers us. John writes, Jesus is the creator God himself, the word. And what did the word do? John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. We've seen his glory. The glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. This phraseology that John uses, the word became flesh, in his culture would have been a little bit crude, a little bit crass, because it was so blunt. The word became flesh. John doesn't want to leave any room that someone might think that Jesus was not fully human. Jesus, the word, was fully God, and the word became fully flesh. This is the same blunt affirmation that the Apostle Paul eventually offered in 1 Timothy 3.16. He wrote, beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. Jesus appeared in the flesh. Jesus, the word, God himself became flesh. He became human. And church, why did he do it? John says right here, God did it that he might dwell amongst us. The phrase that John uses in verse 14 for dwell amongst us literally means he pitched his tent amongst us. It's the word that they used for the tabernacle. 
he tabernacled amongst us. The symbolic dwelling of God amongst his people in the Old Testament has now become the reality of Jesus Christ taking on flesh. The prophecy has become reality. Emmanuel, God is with us. He says this is the hope. From the beginning, God purposed that he would dwell. He would pitch his tent amongst his people. And Jesus is the fulfillment of Emmanuel, God with us. It's what we sang this morning as we worshipped. Eternal word made flesh was he, the promise that prophets long to see. Jesus Christ, our mystery. Hallelujah. What a savior. Hallelujah. What a savior we have in Jesus. He was prophesied. He was promised. God come to save us. Our hope that God is with us. And this is good news. However, you might have noticed in your own life. And in your world, that while Emmanuel has come, and while we do believe that God is with us, it's still not complete and perfectly fulfilled. Because you see, as Jesus has come, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, they began to fulfill the promise of Emmanuel, God with us. By his coming, he saved us by his grace. By his death and resurrection, he's begun to make all things new. His spirit is now with us. But we know that the promise is not perfectly and fully realized because while Jesus has saved us by his first coming right now, we still live and struggle with sin, don't we? Right now, while Jesus has begun to make all things new by the power of Jesus resurrection, things are still this moment broken and they languish under the fallenness of sin. And while Jesus is with us right now, we don't see him face to face, do we? Not yet. We don't yet walk with him in perfect, unbroken fellowship as humanity once did in the garden. Our hope now is that the Jesus who came that first Christmas began to fulfill this hope, the prophecy, the promise that God is with us. And one day he will come and he will perfectly and completely be with us. Completely. The Apostle Paul had this in mind when he wrote to his associate Titus. In Titus chapter 2, he wrote, For the grace of God has appeared. In other words, Jesus has appeared. Bringing salvation for all people. Training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, what Paul says is, with his first coming, the grace of God appeared. Jesus appeared. He brought us grace. The hope started to be realized. But it's not here completely yet, is it? No, we're waiting. We're waiting. And as we wait, we look forward to our blessed hope. The glorious appearing of Jesus. Because when Jesus appears for a second time, all things will be made new. He has already come. He's begun to fulfill this prophecy of Emmanuel, God with us. But it's not yet perfect. It's not yet complete. It's not yet fully realized. In the present age, we live with a hope. A hope looking ahead to a time when Jesus will come. And when perfectly, completely and eternally, Emmanuel, God will be with us. In Revelation, the final book of the Bible, we get a glimpse of what that will be like. Oh, and it's beautiful. Revelation 21 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Do you hear that? That's his intention from the beginning. 
The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore. The former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Did you hear that? The dwelling place of God is with man. Emmanuel, God is perfectly with us without diminishment, without qualification. Emmanuel, God is with us, not only having saved us, but having now made all things new. So there's no more sin. There's no more crying. There's no more dying. There's no more mourning. God who will be with us will wipe every tear from every eye. Emmanuel, God with us perfectly, completely, eternally. The prophecy perfectly, completely, eternally. Fulfilled. And friends, this gives us hope. Is this your hope today? All the characters, the fictional stories I mentioned at the beginning were driven forward by hope. Hope that it would not always be this way. Hope that it could be better. Hope contained in the promises of the prophecies. And today, church, you and I are driven by hope. Hope of the prophecy, the promise that Jesus who has come will one day return. Hope that Jesus with his first coming at Christmas began to fulfill this prophecy of Emmanuel, God with us. And one day he will return to perfectly, finally and eternally fulfill the promise of Emmanuel, God with us. And until that time, you and I are driven. Driven by that hope. Hope that it will not always be this way. Hope. That in the end, God wins. Hope that all things will be made new by Jesus Christ. This is good news. This is good news because you and I could use some hope. You could use some hope in your life, I'm sure. And this world could use some hope. Because many are walking around and many here saying, can I be forgiven? Can I be redeemed and made new? Will things for me ever get better? Will things in this world ever get better? Will my failures have the final word in my life? Will grief always consume me? Will I always struggle with sin? Will guilt and regret always chain me? Will injustice always seem to win in this world? Will the wrong always prosper? And will the right always wither? And the answer is no. Have hope. It will not always be this way. For Christ has come. And Christ will return. And there is hope that God is with us right now today in the middle of the struggle that you're in. And there is hope that one day Jesus will return and he will make all things new. And then we will be with him eternally. Friends, this is what we remember and anticipate at Christmas. The first and the second coming of Emmanuel, God with us. This is what we anticipate and remember as we come to the table at the end of the service. We remember that Christ has come and that Christ will come again. We remember that in the meal that we're going to share. Because you see, in the tabernacle and then in the temple, sacrifices were offered and then symbolically a meal was shared with in the presence of God. In the Lord's Supper, we remember a sacrifice has been made and symbolically we share a meal with and in the presence of God. And one day our hope will become a reality and we will feast in the presence of God eternally. 
at the wedding feast of the Lamb, God with His people, perfectly, completely, eternally. What is our hope? What we celebrate and anticipate will be a reality. This gives us hope in the midst of the struggle. This is a season of hope. This is a meal of hope. And friends, as you come here today, do you know the hope that is in Jesus Christ? Hope that God is with us now in the midst of the struggle. And one day we will be with God perfectly, completely, undiminishedly forevermore. God has promised Emmanuel. He will be with us. And that gives us hope. And do you know that hope? Do you know the hope of Jesus Christ? And if you don't, we would love to talk with you after this service and to pray with you. There will be a prayer team that will be right up here. They would love to talk and to pray and to introduce you to the hope that we can have now and eternally. And that hope has a name, a king named Hope. And that is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And let's pray. Father, thank you that hope has come. Thank you that Jesus has come. And Lord, I pray that you would restore our hope. Restore it not with empty promises, but with the enduring and unchanging promise of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we trust you. Help us to trust you now and to find our hope in you and in you alone. Amen. He was born to die that we might live. Um, Turn to hymn number 140 and stand and sing together a communion hymn for Christmas.
we approach the cross, Bethlehem's pure oblation freely offered up. Christmas babe so tender, Lamb who bore our blame, how shall sinners render praises to your name? 